Chapter Seven of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Monica Rolly. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint-Amand translated by Elizabeth G. Martin chapter 7 Marie Antoinette and Madame Roland two women find themselves confronted across the chessboard and about to move the pieces in a terrible game in which each stacks are head and each is foredoomed to lose one is the woman who represents the old regime the daughter of the german caesars the queen of france and navarre the other stands for the new regime the parisian middle classes the daughter of the engraver of the quai des orfèvres they are nearly the same age madame roland was born march eighteen seventeen fifty four and marie antoinette november second seventeen fifty five both are beautiful and both are conscious of their charm each exercises a sort of domination over all who approach her in seventeen ninety two when roland enters the ministry marie antoinette is no longer thinking of coquetry luxury or dress the heroine of the galerie of the mirrors the crowned shepherdess of the trianon the queen of elegance pleasure and fashion is not recognizable in her the time for splendors is over like the time for pastorals no more festivals no more distractions no more theatres incessant anxieties and unremitting labor writing throughout the day and reading meditating and praying throughout the night are now the unfortunate sovereign's whole existence she hardly sleeps her eyes are reddened by tears a single night that of the arrest on the journey to varennes had sufficed to whiten her hair she wears mourning for her brother the emperor leopold and for her ally the king of sweden gustavus third and one might say that she is also wearing it for the french monarchy that she is also wearing it for the french monarchy all trace of frivolity has disappeared the severe and majestic countenance of the woman who suffers so cruelly as queen spouse and mother is sanctified by the double poetry of religion and sorrow madame roland on the other hand is more coquettish than she has ever been the actress who has at last found her theatre and is very proud to play her part wishes to allure desires to reign she delights in presiding at these political dinners where all the guests are men and of which her grace and eloquence constitute the charm she has just completed her thirty-eighth year her husband is nearly fifty-eight buzot is only thirty-two possibly she is still more preoccupied with love than with ambition to use one of her own expressions her heart swells with the desire to please to please buzot above all 
She takes pains to celebrate her own beauty, which, in spite of showing symptoms of decline, has the brilliance of sunset. In her memoirs she describes her large and superbly modelled bust, her light, quick step, her frank and open glance, at once keen and soft, which sometimes amazes, but which caresses still more and always quickens. She writes, My mouth is rather large, there are a thousand prettier, but none that has a softer and more seductive smile. In prison, when she is nearly forty, she states that if she has lost some of her attractions, yet she needs no help from art to make her look five or six years younger. Even those who see me every day, she adds, require to be told my age in order to believe me more than thirty-two or thirty-three. Madame Roland had at first written thirty-three or thirty-four, but after reflection finding herself too modest, she made an erasure and retrenched another year. She adds that she made very little use of her charms, avowing at the same time and with the most absolute frankness that if she could reconcile her duty with her inclination to utilize them more fully, she would not be sorry. Both Marie Antoinette and Madame Roland were political women, but the one became so in her own despite in the hope of saving the life of her husband and the heritage of her son, the other through ambition and a desire to play a part for which her origin had not destined her. In the one everything is at once noble and simple, natural and majestic. In the other there is always something affected and theatrical. One sends the parvenu who will never be a grand dame, even in the Ministry of the Interior, or at the House of Calonne. All is unstudied in Marie Antoinette. Madame Roland, on the contrary, is an artist in coquetry. Bizarre caprice of fate which makes political rivals and adversaries treating with each other on equal terms of these two women, of whom one was so much above the other by rank and birth. The Tuileries and the house of the Minister of the Interior are like two hostile citadels at a stone's throw from each other. On both sides there is watchfulness and fear, an impassable obis hollowed out by the vanity of the commoner still more than by the pride of the Queen. Forever separates these two courageous women who, had they united instead of antagonizing each other, might have saved both their country and themselves. It is necessary to go back a few years in order to comprehend the motif of Madame Roland's hatred for Marie Antoinette. It was inspired in the vain commoner by envy, the worst and vilest of all counsellors. Madame Roland's special characteristic was the passion of making an effect. Now, the effect produced by Marie Antoinette under the old regime was immense that produced by the future Egeria of the Girondin group was almost nil. A simple mortal regarding Olympus from below, she said to herself with vaccination that in spite of her talents and her charms, there was no place for her among the gods and goddesses. Versailles was like a superior world from which it maddened her to be excluded. She was twenty years old when, in 1774, she visited it with her mother, her uncle, the Abbe Bimont, and an aged gentlewoman, Mademoiselle Danache. 
they all lodged at the palace one of marie antoinette's women who was acquainted with the abbey and who was not then on duty lent them her apartment the only object of the excursion was to give the young girl a near view of the court in recalling the souvenir in her memoirs madame roland displays her aversion displays her aversion for the old society she is annoyed even with the companion of her visit because she was according to the expression then in use a person of quality mademoiselle d'anache she says went boldly wherever she chose ready to fling her name in the face of any one who tried to stop her thinking they ought to be able to read on her grotesque visage her six hundred years of established nobility the fine figure of a pedantic little clerkic like the abbe bimont and the imbecile pride of the ugly danache were not out of keeping in those scenes but the unpainted face of my worthy mamma and the modesty of my dress announced that we were commoners if my eyes or my youth provoked remark it was almost patronizing and caused me nearly as much displeasure as madame de boismorel's compliments it was this madame de boismorel who although she found the little philippon very pleasing had said to the grandmother of the future madame roland take care that she does not become a learned woman it would be a great pity the splendours of versailles did not dazzle the daughter of the engraver of the quai des orfèvres the apartment she occupied was at the top of the palace in the same corridor as that of the archbishop of paris and so near it that it was necessary for the prelate to take precautions lest she should overhear him talk two poorly furnished rooms she says in the upper end of one of which space had been contrived for valet's bed was the habitation which a duke and peer of france esteemed himself honoured in possessing in order to be closer at hand to grinch every morning at the levee of their majesties and yet he was the rigorous beaumont the ordinary and the ceremonial table service was the entire family eating separately or altogether the masses the promenades the gaming the presentations had us for spectators during a week what impression was made on her by this excursion to the royal palace she herself will tell us nineteen years later in her prison i was not insensible she says to the effect of so much pomp and ceremony but i was indignant that its object should be so exalted certain individuals already too powerful and of very slight personal importance i liked much better to look at the statues in the gardens than at the persons in the palace and when my mother asked if i was satisfied with my visit yes i replied provided it will soon be over if i stay here many days longer i shall detest the people so much that i shall be unable to hide my hatred what harm are they doing you then making me feel injustice and constantly behold absurdity how this impression is emphasized in the really prophetic letter written by the future heroine of the revolution to her friend mademoiselle sophie canet october fourth seventeen seventy four 
To return to Versailles, I cannot tell you how greatly all I have examined has made me value my own situation and thank Heaven that I was born in an obscure condition. You think, perhaps, that this sentiment is based on the slight esteem I attach to the worth of opinion and my sense of the reality of the penalties attached to greatness. Not at all. It is based on the knowledge I have of my own character, which would be very detrimental both to me and to the state if I were placed at a little distance from the throne, because I would be keenly shocked by the extreme inequality which sets so many thousands of men below a single individual of the same species. What a prediction! The most unforeseen events were one day to bring this young plebeian near that royalty formerly so far above her. The engraver's daughter will be the wife of a minister of state, and then what will happen? According to her own expression, her role will be very detrimental to herself and to the state. In the same letter she had written, a beneficent king seems to me an almost adorable being, but if before coming into the world the choice of a government had been given me, my character would have made me decide for a republic. She will end by hating the beneficent king, and probably no one will contribute more than she towards establishing the republican regime in France, supposing that instead of being merely an insignificant commoner, Madame Roland had been born in the ranks of aristocracy, had enjoyed the right of sitting down in the presence of their majesties at Versailles, and had shown at the familiar entertainments of the Trianon. She would doubtless have shared the sentiments and ideas of the woman of the old regime, and like the Princess de Lamballe or the Duchess de Polignac, have shed tears of compassion over the Queen's misfortunes fate in placing her in a subordinate position made her an enemy and a rebel she anathematized the society in which her rank bore no relation to her lofty intelligence and her need of domination when from the upper window of her father's house on the quai des orfèvres beside the pont neuf she saw the brilliant retinue of marie antoinette pass by on their way to notre dame to return thanks to god for some happy event she grew angry at all this pomp and glitter so much in contrast with her own obscure condition what crimes have been engendered by the sentiment of envy the furies of the guillotine were above all things envious they were delighted to see in the fatal cart the woman whom they had formerly beheld in gala carriages resplendent with gold Madame Roland certainly ought not to have carried her hatred to such a pitch, but had she not demanded in 1789, when speaking of Louis says and the Queen, that two illustrious heads should be brought to trial? Who knows? If in 1784 she had obtained the patent of nobility for her husband, which at that period she solicited, so ardently she might have become sincerely royalist but having remained despite herself in the citizen class she retained and personifies to her latest hour its rancour pettiness and wrath 
What figure could she have made at Versailles or even at the Tuileries? In the midst of great lords and noble ladies, the haughty commoner would have been out of place. She would have stifled. It was chiefly on that account that she attached herself to the new ideas. She told herself that so long as royalty lasted, she would always be of small importance, while, if the republic were established, she might aspire to anything. Though her husband was one of the king's ministers, she became daily more adverse to the monarchy, and Roland, following her counsels, was like a pilot whose whole intent is to make the vessel founder, even though he was to perish with its crew. It is a sad thing to say, but even that community in suffering did not disarm Madame Roland's hate for Marie Antoinette. It was in prison, on the eve of ascending the scaffold herself, that she wrote concerning Louis XVI and the Queen. He was led away by a giddy creature, who united the presumption of youth and grandeur to Austrian insolence, the intoxication of the senses, and the heedlessness of levity, and was herself seduced by all the vikes of an Asiatic court, for which she had been too well prepared by the example of her mother. Ah, why were not these cruel lines effaced by the tears Madame Roland shed in floods over the pages she was writing, and of which the traces still remain on the manuscript of her memoirs? Why did she not sympathize in the grief of Marie Antoinette separated from her children, when in speaking of her daughter Odora she wrote, Good God, I am a prisoner, and she is living far from me. I dare not even send for her to receive my embraces, hatred pursues even the children of those whom tyranny persecutes and mine with her eleven years her virginal figure and her beautiful fair hair could hardly appear in the streets without creature suburbs or diluted by falsehood pointing her out as the offspring of a conspirator cruel wretches how well they know how to tear a mother's heart why were these two women political adversaries both sensitive both artistic with inexhaustible sources of poetry and tenderness at heart they were born for gentle emotions and not for horrible catastrophes who at their dawning could have predicted for them such an appalling night like marie antoinette madame roland loved nature and the arts she felt the profound and penetrating charm of the fields she drew she played on the harp guitar and violin and she sang no one knows she wrote a few moments before her death what an alleviation music is in solitude and anguish nor from how many temptations it can save one in prosperity she had sung the same romances as the queen the same poets had inspired and affected each does not this most feminine passage in madame roland's memoirs recall the character of the mistress of the little trianon i always remember the singular effect produced on me by a bunch of violets at christmas when i received them i was in that condition of soul often induced by a season favourable to serious thought my imagination slumbered i reflected coldly and i hardly felt at all 
suddenly the color of these violets and their delicate perfume struck my senses it was an awakening to life a rosy tinge suffused the horizon of the day would not this cry of madame roland in her captivity suit marie antoinette as well ah when shall i breathe pure air and those of soft exhalations so agreeable to my heart and might not the daughter of the great marie theresa have cried like the daughter of philippon the engraver adieu my child my husband my friends adieu son whose brilliant rays brought serenity to my soul as if they were recalling it to the skies adieu ye solitary fields which have so often moved me what must not these two keenly sensitive women have had to suffer at the epoch when france became a hell they have each believed in the amelioration of the human species and the return of the golden age to earth and what would the awakening be after such alluring dreams men will be as unjust as wicked as cruel to the republican as to the queen she too will be drenched with calumnies and outrages they will insult her also in the most cowardly and ferocious manner under the very windows of her dungeon she will hear the hawkers crying great visit of pere duchene to citizens roland in the abbey prison for the purpose of pumping her the ignoble journalist will call her old sack of the counter-revolution he will say to her with his habitual oaths weep for your crimes old fright before you expiate them on the scaffold the wife of louis xvi and the wife of roland will die within twenty-three days of each other one on october sixteen the other on november eighth seventeen ninety three they will start from the same prison of the conciergerie to be led to the same place louis quinze to have their heads cut off by the blade of the same guillotine the commoner who had been so jealous of the queen can no longer complain if the lives of the two women have been different they will at least have the same death and the doer of the noble deeds of the regime of equality the headsman will make no distinction between the two victims between the veritable sovereign the queen of france and navarre and the sovereign of the day whom pere duchene as insolent to one as the other will no longer speak of except under the sobriquet of queen coco End of chapter seven. Recording by Monica Raleigh.